it, that first night it was like four degrees and then like minus 10 with the windshield or something. So I'm like, I'm not hiking back down. That's for sure. So I'm just going to do five days back here with no insoles in my boots. So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> including yeah, the pack out. Bad. Yeah. Including the pack out. Oh. guys and welcome to the hunt backcountry podcast this is episode 212 and we're talking with our buddy dan solzman so dan's a local guy from idaho i think i first met him on a death hike um, and since then every time i've seen dan and talked with him i've honestly been entertained but also inspired he's just a super cool guy just like you and i like a family man hard worker balances you know, family, full-time job, military service, and hunting, and is actually super successful in the woods. Um, so we're excited to talk with Dan about a variety of topics from this past season that he had, uh, both with elk and deer in Idaho. And no matter what you are into, you're sure to take something away from this episode. So we're excited to share it with you guys. Before we dive into that, wanted to thank uh, the first time backpacker, as that's the screen name on an iTunes review, um, and we want to send you some Exo Mountain Gear and Hunt Backcountry swag. So thanks for that review. Just contact us with your shipping address; we'll get you taken care of. And listeners, it's you know we try to do these giveaways just to say thank you. Like we appreciate the feedback. We value hearing from you guys, whether it's you know a positive review, whether it's a question, a topic idea, anything like that. We'd love to hear from you. So you can leave us a review where you're listening to this show, or again, just email us directly to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Um, the first time backpacker, that screen name, made me think of something we are working on, which is kind of like a pack essentials series. So Steve and I are going to be kind of breaking down different shelter options and sleep systems and that type of thing. So if you're maybe newer to the backcountry hunting scene or to backpack style hunting, um, it'd be great to hear from you. Like, what questions do you have? What do you want to know about? Because that series is something we'll be putting together over the coming weeks and also releasing this spring. So thanks, guys, for tuning in. Thanks for being engaged with the show. We appreciate it and hope you enjoy this discussion with Dan Salzman. Dan, welcome to the Hunt About Country podcast. How are you, man? I'm good, brother. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah. So I asked you for some some bullet points, some thoughts, some topics for the show, which we'll get into some of that. But one of the things, I think the very last thing you mentioned was why your feet hurt this October, which reminded me of something. I don't want to talk about that yet. I want to talk okay. about your toes from the 2018 death hike. <laughs> we're going back here i've never okay. started a podcast wanting to find out about someone's toes before so this feels weird but tell us about that dan how'd that go for you um several of them fell off more or less <laughs> <laughs> the entire toes no um it was overall a terrible experience um i cried a little bit i lost four toenails both big toes 
one in the middle and then a pinky on one foot. And, uh, it took about six months for my feet to go back to normal. So <laughs> it was pretty awesome along with, you know, blisters on the entire bottoms of my feet, my heels and everywhere else. So yeah. it was, was a bloody mess for a while. Was that, are you a p- person that struggles with foot problems while you're out hunting or is that just completely out of the blue? Um, I mean, I get a blister here and there. kind of depends on the boot situation. Some boots rub my toes. I have a real wide, flat foot, and my, the width of my foot starts, like, really far back. I kind of look like I have a sixth toe. <laughs> so <laughs> You got Flintstone feet. I have, yeah, I have fit issues with, you know, a bunch of different brands of boots. But, I mean, everything had been fine up until that point. Until uh-huh. you did 90 yeah, plus miles. Yeah. Yeah, and I I did that 50k the week the weekend before, or two weekends before, and then a, the, a marathon the week before that. So my feet were just kind of beat up to start. So yeah, it didn't help. And then I did the the hike in running shoes. I think if I had some few more pairs of socks and maybe a stiffer boot, I wouldn't have run into ran into all that trouble. But yeah, were you wearing anyway, ultras? It made for it that? interesting. It would. Yeah, I had my yeah. timps on, and then my feet were just wet the whole time. So. Right soft skin and, and running shoes i think is <laughs> a, a bad combo yeah yeah it's it's funny even before you mentioned the whole october thing about your feet hurting this year unfortunately when i think of you the image that comes to mind is your nasty feet from the end of that hike it's never your pretty face it's your nasty feet that's <laughs> all right i can live with that the feet, <laughs> the feet i'm sure have more notoriety than i ever will well now that we have introduced your feet go ahead and introduce yourself dan for (laughs) to give listeners context who are you what do you do why are we talking so i'm a guy with ugly feet and uh well just a jail guy living in idaho um about to be 35 exciting dad to four little kids i do construction by day not a professional hunter just kind of a bummer and uh national guardsman out here in the uh, Idaho Air National Guard as a heavy equipment operator. So it's kind of the gist of what I do. So you're like right there in the middle of what we hear about from quite a few guys with struggling to how do you balance family and work and a nine to five and hunting and you have four kids. I mean, that's, you know, a handful for sure. So not to make the whole podcast about that, but like, what are some of the things that you've done well with that maybe what are some of the things that you've learned you haven't done well how do you balance hunting and life and family because you're not one of the guys that you know screws a broad head in on august 1st um i mean you prep you prepare you plan and all that so how do you do that yeah i think uh work is probably the easier side of it it's just been a a multi-year progression with like explaining to my wife how important this is to me and how much it means to me to be away and that I'm not leaving like to get away from her and the kids. It's just that I need to do this for my own mental health. (laughs) And part of that was, um, just over communicating with her and writing things down. Cause I don't know if you guys do this, but I like think I tell her things, but really I've just been (laughs) thinking about them for so long that I feel like they're like out there in the universe. Yeah. And then so like August 26th, I'd be like, Hey, I can't wait to leave for nine days. You know, like tomorrow she's like, what the hell are you talking about? So that was like my first couple backcountry hunting seasons. And then I realized like, okay, I, every time I have an idea or make a plan, I need to say it. And then I need to put it on a calendar somewhere and remind her every few weeks, like, Hey, this is coming. This is coming. 
every year, August 30th, archery season starts. You need to be aware of this. So yeah, that's helped. Nice. A, that's helped a ton. And I mean, I still, I still screw it up half the time, but at least if I'm making a positive effort, it seems to be easier. Yeah. The communication's key. The first one you said, writing it down, I thought you meant you're writing down what you told her. So you had proof later. Like, <laughs> no, I told you right no. here. I have this note on June 6th. I yeah. told you. I, that's I not what you meant. Okay. Several times. It hasn't actually come to that, but yeah. I don't We're, think it'd be a wise I, move. I've thought about getting a notary involved. Like, <laughs> <laughs> look, you agreed to this. <laughs> we had witnesses. Yeah. Uh, that's classic. <laughs> gather the kids up so they can all, you know, vouch for my story. But that's a big one. And then, I mean, work. Um, I just, I've been with the company. I'm with two years now. So I wasn't like a senior guy with a ton of vacation leave. So just being able to, you know, try to maximize every day I could and not having a ton of time is tough. And then the guard eating up, you know, a weekend in September and a weekend in October and November, trying to manage that. So, you know, I get, I, don't, I get one weekend a month less than the average guy even. So that can be tricky. Mm-hmm. That's a lot, so, man. It is, but I mean, I signed up, so I can't really complain that much. So yeah. I just got to deal with it, figure it out. Right. Um, yeah. So your hunting background, you actually grew up in the East. When did you come West? And then how long after you came West, did you start hunting? Like how long have you been doing the backcountry thing compared to, you know, growing up in deer camp type thing? Gotcha. So six, this was my sixth season. So I moved out to Idaho when I was 25 and then I didn't, I, uh, I hunted like the southwestern part of the state out in the flat desert stuff that wasn't scary doing shooting two point bucks and and going up north and whitetail hunting a little bit and I did that for a couple of years and then yeah I think 2014 was the first year that I was like I decided I wanted to do some some more intense stuff and and found out about backcountry hunting and bought a bunch of cheapo gear and went out and got lost and, you know, did all the fun stuff we all do at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> did you do that on your own? Did you have somebody like guiding, helping you through that process or was it just, you know, the school no, hard knocks? Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I went out and uh, did the first bunch of trips by myself, just like solo scouting, um, just, you know, mooching around. And then I had a buddy with me on the first hunt that I drug into it. He'd never really done it before, but he decided he'd come just for, moral support and to hang out and look for animals with me. So we went out on the, I had like nine days allotted. And I think I, I shot a bull on like the fifth day. I had a rifle tag and then I was just kind of hooked from there. It was miserable. I did a, a lot of things wrong. I was wet the entire trip. I was afraid to light a fire cause I thought it was going to scare all the animals away and just was freezing cold. And it was like 15 degrees every morning. Cause you know, it's like 9,000 feet in October. So it was pretty brutal, but I kind of fell in love with it after that and figured it wouldn't suck so bad if I got better at it and just kind of invested a bunch of energy into getting better stuff and being better prepared for it. So yeah, it's kind of how it started. Was backcountry hunting your foray into challenging yourself through difficult circumstances like that? Or does that come from somewhere else? Cause it also, if I think of you, like I think of Dan's not afraid to embrace the suck, not afraid to suffer not afraid to try something hard. 
um, not only looking at your feet and how you hiked through that, but just, <laughs> you know, I know that you've done long races and, um, you're not like a, you're not built like a runner, maybe a, a Clydesdale, but not like a guy who goes, Oh yeah, 50 K. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just like from a mental perspective, I know that you're a mentally strong guy, at least from the externals and the experiences I've had with you, I'd say that of you. Um, is that something you developed through hunting or where does that come from? It's a uh, kind of just like a midlife crisis I had at 28. Um, I'd never really been good at anything and just decided I was done being a, a your average Joe fat guy that was just aging and getting fatter and not doing anything with himself. So I just decided um, that I was going to lose a bunch of weight. And then I was going to, once I had the weight off, I decided I was going to join the military and then decided, you know, I run pretty good for a big guy. You know, I, not every 215 pound guy can crank out seven minute miles. So I was like, maybe I'll sign up for a race, start doing some five K's and then a half marathon. And, you know, the more, the longer I raced, the more people were like, you're not cut out for this. Like what's <laughs> trying to figure out the angle on me, which I enjoyed. So I was like, Oh man, maybe I can, well, this will be fun to, to outrun some skinny people and have them be like, what the hell just happened? <laughs> so then I started on to do longer races and, uh, that's kind of it, man. I'm just, uh, competitive and I have a lot of self-loathing and <laughs> other weird shit going on. So it kind of helps me, um, burn that up and, and make something positive out of it. Yeah. What's your mental state when you're right in the middle of the suck? Do you get your head out of it? Do you focus on it? How do you get past it? Oh, I revel in it. You revel um, in it? Yeah. Yeah. Nobody thinks I can do this. I'm going to show everyone wrong. A big chip on my shoulder for, for no reason. Um, the third morning of the, of the death hike, Steve, I'm surprised you didn't hear me. I was cursing your name so loud when my feet were falling apart. <laughs> it echoed Steve, up the canyon. Steve. Yeah. Steve called me a pussy. I'm going to be the first guy to finish this thing with my feet falling apart. Show that show that guy what's up. Yeah. That's, that's just kind of how I operate. So I can, get, I can get, yeah, I can get a little negative on myself, but it, it works out in the end. Yeah. That's what I need to do. So. I think it's important to find that, you know, that trigger that they kind of, cause at some point you're going to hit a wall and be like, you know, I'm done. And then you got to figure out how to get past it. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the spot where I go, where it gets stuck, where I'm like the, the portion of, I want to be doing this runs out. And then yeah. <laughs> you're standing there with another, you know, another 10 miles to run or another 40 miles to hike. You're like, all right, we got to go somewhere else for fuel. So yeah. usually, usually it gets dark pretty quick. <laughs> so at 28 you said you were just kind of uh not doing anything physically not challenging yourself kind of overweight now you're almost 35 so seven years of this journey like what are some of the highlights lessons learned advice for somebody who's maybe closer to, closer to where you were at at 28 and again they might not be 28 maybe they're 45 but in terms of not being active, not challenging yourself, just kind of living that blah life um, and not truly living. Like, what would you tell them to begin to change and head in a positive direction? As cliche as it sounds, probably just one day at a time, man. That's it. It seems so overwhelming to change your entire life, but if you just do, if you just make this good decisions every day and just think, I all I have to get through is today. 
And eventually you become that person and you become known for doing that stuff. You know what I'm saying? So like, it's hard to be like, well, six months from now, I'm going to be, I'm going to have run a marathon and a 50 K and do this and that. And it's just, you know, but if I wake up today and I go run my three miles and then I don't go to Burger King and get, you know, the two for four breakfast croissants, I do something smart with myself, you know, just get through the day and then tomorrow do the same thing. You know, before you know it, you've made some, some pretty big positive changes. And I mean, it's, it's easy to fall off and get fat again. And, you know, it's a roller coaster for me for over seven years. I'm like, sometimes I'm 190. I'm like 220 right now again, because I was done with hunting season and decided to congratulate myself with a pizza every day for like a month. And, uh, <laughs> just, but just, you know, not, not letting it snowball too far out of control and, you know, just knowing that I gotta, gotta get back on it. So just baby steps. It's not, not everybody's life is how it looks on Instagram. You know, it's not easy. It's, it's mm-hmm. a process. Yeah. There's this quote that I forget where I heard it, but it always stuck with me. And it says direction, not intention determines your destination. And I think most of us look at a destination we want to be at and we have good intentions about getting there, but we don't mm-hmm. focus on just moving in that direction. Like we either get overwhelmed by we're too far from that destination or we just think pie in the sky. If I think happy thoughts, like if I have good intentions, yeah. I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like that type of thing. But manifest itself. Yeah. It'll manifest yeah. itself like positive vibes, whatever. But it's really just setting that direction. Like, yeah, that destination's far off and there's a lot of work between here and there, but don't worry about what's to come. Just worry about today and heading in that right direction today. I think if you yep. do that, um, you know, you'll wake up three months from now or a year from now or three years from now and be surprised at where you end up. So that's, it's really important. Yeah, I, I did like, it, honestly it, at, at roughly that age, like at about 28 for me, it was kind of the same thing. Um, and how I made a lot of changes like physically as well as just, you know, challenges in life and stuff like that. So I can for sure relate. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like taking those small steps Maybe you're not all the way where you wanted to be in the time frame that you had imagined, but now now you're halfway there, you know, and you have something rather than just hoping it's going to happen and you're still sitting at the starting line six months later. At least you start doing something, you know, yeah. slow progress is still progress, which is yeah. important. Yeah. So you had uh, you had a heck of a fall this fall. You had some success uh, despite you know what we talked about earlier with kids and the guard and limited time. Like you had a really good season. So just to pull some lessons, some stories from this season um, before we even get into opening day, you mentioned that going into this past season, you just you were focused and you had a concrete plan that allowed you to have all the success that you had this season. So what does that look like specifically this year what did it look like for you being focused in the preseason and having a plan and how did you make that plan to to lead into opening day um so it kind of just started off with me wanting to kill a good mule deer this year um i haven't the past couple years i've had some unpunched tags and you know shot some like had taken some opportunistic shots on smaller bucks just because they were there and um, really just wanted to focus and, and buckle down. I felt like I could, uh, pretty consistently kill elk these days. So just wanted to get better at killing mule deer, which kind of led me to scouting a lot harder in the summer, 
And then uh, typically I take my vacation like the first week of September. I stretch that Labor Day weekend out and then take the following week off, which is cool, but it kind of leads me to like cramming everything into the summer and then rushing and try to get you know all my hunting done and burning up my vacation time. So I pushed it back this year towards the end of September so I could take the beginning of the month, spend more time looking for deer, kind of working that angle on it. And then, uh, it actually didn't play out that way. We still wound up killing a bunch of elk in September, but, um, having some flexibility with my, with my vacation time was awesome. So I, uh, what wound up happening was, um, we killed a bull for a buddy opening weekend. And then the next weekend I killed mine. And then the weekend after that, we were supposed to, um, Will and I were supposed to have that whole following week off the third week of September, but we killed his bull that Saturday. So I had nothing to do and just took that whole week of vacation time I had and just shoved it back to rifle deer season. Since we didn't really have archery hunt too successfully for bucks. So, um, it was kind of, we had kind of had to regroup and refocus halfway through, but the plan was kind of always to keep tabs on a certain group of bucks that we had watched and, you know, make our best effort to get them during September. And then if that didn't play out, um, go back in and, and focus on them in October. But, um, a lot of it just had to do with learning, man. Just asking a, pinging a ton of questions off of guys that I know that are a lot better deer hunters than I am of what deer do in different situa- situations how they react to, um, you know, pressure different ways and what happens if I bump them and, or another guy bumps them and where do they go? And so I just had, you know, a thousand questions just all over the place this summer. So it helps to know, know some, some solid mule deer hunters. Right. How did that play out? You said you, you were aware of a group of bucks in September. You're essentially trying to track them into rifle season in October. Did that happen for you? And what did you kind of learn about what you just said with pressure, how they respond and how did that play out? Yeah. So the buck I killed October 11th, um, we found like August 20th. So, and he was maybe a half a mile from where we saw him in August. So Yeah. They, they didn't go far. Um, they would disappear for a few days at a time. <laughs> we wouldn't really have any idea where they went, but just kept remembering, you know, what guys were telling me that those bucks are still there, you know, unless you, you really got to give them a good reason to leave. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I'd always been in the impression that once you bump a deer, it's, it's gone. And then once it snows, it's gone. I think I was just making excuses for why I was a bad deer hunter. <laughs> and I was letting myself off the hook, you know, kind of like I always had a built in, you know, clause for why it didn't happen. Mm. So, um, just not letting myself play that game at all this year and, and saying, no, this, this, this deer is still here. You know, if, if you don't find it, it's your own fault. It's kind of was my mentality. Yeah. And then preparing for that, you know, preparing for the long haul and being in there for, five or six days making sure I was comfortable and not trying to get up and run all over the mountain. Is that tough? Like coming from more of an elk hunting background, uh, be in there for five or six days and be much more patient and just wait and glass. And how was that for you? Um, it was a nightmare this summer. I have always hated glassing 
but I've always had um, kind of lower end binos. So I saved up in the spring and bought a pair of Suaros finally. And uh, all of a sudden, I didn't have a headache after an hour of glassing. So I was able to sit behind glass more or less all day long. Really convinced myself that that's what I needed to do. And that was, I mean, you can only hear it from so many awesome mule deer killers that like stop running all over the place before it starts to click. So yeah, I just, I just, instead of getting up and running into a different ridge line to look, you know, over into new Canyon, I'd get up and move 10 feet, shake out my legs and sit back down and start glassing again. And that, I think that was the, the biggest move. Just, I wasn't spending enough spot, enough time looking at spots to actually see all the deer that were there. Hmm. What have you learned, at least for your context and where you're at in Idaho, about the terrain and the, again, the, like the differences between where you're finding elk or have killed elk in the past and then where you were finding these good deer? What are some of the terrain, habitat differences that stand out to you? Um, that's kind of tough to say this year because we were finding a lot of good deer and a lot of good bulls in the same areas. All together. So, huh. Yeah. They're, um, so it seems like when the elk move in, the deer kind of move out. So if it's like I had one area that I went in for deer, I thought it was going to be an awesome spot for bucks. And then it turned out it was just loaded with elk. And it was actually where I killed my bull this year. So it worked out that I went in there looking for deer. So I found a bachelor group of like 12 bulls. In a, but yeah, I don't think I've learned enough to be able to really tell the difference at this point. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the lesson, right? Good habitat and good country holds animals. Yep. Yeah. What in, in scouting, what were some of the things you were focused on? Like, why did you pick that spot looking for deer? What about it drew your attention and interest? Maybe give away all the secrets now. No, <laughs> <laughs> just, just the, just the typical run of the mill stuff that you hear, like access issues, spots that are, um, either far back or overlooked. You know, things I look, I look at a spot from the, the angle of like, is this, is getting in here going to eliminate 75% of guys? And if, if it's no, if it's got a dirt bike trail right up and into it, then, you know, I kind of, I might look at it as I ride past it, but uh, that's not the primary spot. So just looking for spots that are kind of a pain in the ass to get into, whether it's a 2000 foot climb up and over a ridge or you know, you got to cross the same Creek four times to get back in there. Or, you know, it, it doesn't take much, I think, to deter a lot of people. And I've been that guy that's hit that third Creek, creek crossing and been like, well, screw this, you know? So just trying to push it a little harder than I normally would. It kind of paid off this year. Yeah. What, uh, what went wrong in archery season? As far as not killing not, a buck. You said you set out to kill a buck with a bow, right? So what happened? Yeah, well, the plan was to just to kill a buck. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I like bow hunting a little better. So, yeah, it was. Um, the problem was that um, when we, we found this group of good deer, had, the buck that I shot in the rifle season was the one that I was after. Um, he just kept betting in spots that would have been pretty much impossible to get to him and he would bed with another mature buck like back to back looking two different directions and then up on just a nasty side hill 
that you'd have i would have had to like dropped a thousand feet and then gone up two thousand feet up around him through like a broken rock slide without him seeing or hearing me and then somehow like every time it was just would have been a nightmare scenario and i feel like maybe in the past i would have run over there but my whole goal was to not be overzealous this year and and spook deer out of a spot that i know they're gonna stay in um so rather than kind of rush a stock and and try to do something i wasn't sure of i just decided hey we're just gonna let these things hang out here until until i'm sure i can get over there into a spot where i can either put an arrow or put a bullet into one and uh so he would i mean we saw him i think once in a spot where i was like okay i'm going glassed him up he bedded down um it was in a good area where i could get through with good cover and not have to make a, a suicide climb down some broken rock cliff and uh the second i got up to start moving he stood up and walked the other way and disappeared so it was just so, just wasn't in the cars during archery season yeah so you did i mean there wasn't a ton of learning lessons you you hunted smart and, and didn't rush things and yeah I like it, it yeah, that kind of was my learning lesson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, uh, don't don't be a hero. Like yeah. you know, so, yeah, you yeah, just yeah. just be persistent, stay on this deer and wait for him to screw up and don't yeah. don't go over there and try to make something happen and screw it up for yourself. Yeah, I mean, it's I've heard a thousand times more from anybody who hunts mule deer that patience, patience, patience. And that's something I struggle with and I think part of the fact that that's I just haven't hunted mule deer much. I mean, it's, I haven't learned those hard lessons about truly what that means to be patient. Um, and so I'm just, I, I know that that would be a weakness of mine is like wanting to rush in, wanting to make something happen, wanting to force a situation. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's gotta be difficult, especially again. I mean, when you're used to other scenarios, right? Like, it can pay to be aggressive without cunning, for example. That's your background. That's more of my background when it comes to Western hunting. So that I know that that would be a struggle for sure. Yeah. And and there's so many guys out there that make it look easy stalking in on big mule deer. And I was trying to tell myself, like, hey, you're not one of those guys yet. Like, <laughs> you know, I've shot a couple of good bucks and I've stalked in on a couple, but it's like, it's nowhere near a sure thing. So, and having, you know, trying specifically to stay out of what their little core area was and not knowing what it was going to look like when I got over there and knowing, you know, that it was definitely going to be worse than it looked even from where I was at. I just kind of had to talk myself out of it a few times. Um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of interesting. Usually I'm the other way around and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go make this happen. I'm going to run over there and you know, everything's gone by the time I got there. Cause I'm bumbling through the woods like an elephant, but how did it come together in October then? Like kind of tell us that story, anything that stands out, any lessons learned you, you said, was that on like day five or six that you got the shot? Uh, no, in October, I, um, it was the second day of the season. So oh, it was, the, it was the, yeah. So Will and I hiked back up in there into that spot. Oh, and why my feet hurt. I'll just take this circle back around. Yeah. Bring it. I, uh, so I, I had, uh, I wear my summit string archery season, a little lighter, uh, mid-height boot and then with snow on the ground and it being colder i have a pair of kenetrex that i've had for the past couple of years so i threw them in the truck and uh got out got them strapped on started heading up we have a, a big climb to start our hike into where we were going to look for these deer 
And uh, I'm like a thousand feet up. My calves are on fire and my feet are sore. I'm like, what is going on? I, I feel like I'm walking on two by fours. So we get, we get up to the top of the ridge and set up the teepee and I take my boots off and I realize I don't have any insoles in my boots. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just got that hard flat bottom. And kind like, oh, okay. are known for being soft, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I feel like I have a two by four strapped to my foot and that's what I'm climbing in. So that was fun. I'm like, Oh, awesome. We're like, you know, way up in here. We just hiked through a foot of snow it, that first night it was like four degrees and then like minus 10 with the windshield or something. So I'm like, I'm not hiking back down. That's for sure. So I'm just going to do five days back here with no insoles in my boots. So that was pretty awesome. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> including yeah, the pack out. Bad. Yeah. Including the pack out. Oh. So we, we, uh, yeah, we both wound up taking a whole deer down out of there. So we had like, 155 pounds each or something like that was what I waited out to when I busted everything apart. That's miserable, man. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good one. <laughs> it was a good one. <laughs> what were you talking about? Oh, you know, feet. just you I know we're a, heading somewhere with this. Just oh, heading wow, into you killing a big old buck. Yeah. 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 So we got up in there and, uh, like I said, it was cold. It was in the dark. Um, heading in the dark was somehow our, our go-to move this year. And, uh, so we, we kind of set up early and made a camp where we didn't really want to stay and then went up and over into the, the spot we were looking at the next day and, uh, just got out onto a ridge started glassing. The wind was blowing sideways. It was just miserable that opening day where we were at. So, but we sat in glass for a couple hours and, uh, I just, just caught a glimpse of, uh, Will's buck. And his buck and my buck always hung out together. So I just kind of had a feeling they would be somewhere close by and, uh, sat there all day, waited. They came back out in the evening and we're working towards us, but uh, they came out so close to dark that we knew it, we wouldn't have time to get down and over to where they were. So just kind of watched them and put them to bed and didn't even try to make a move on opening day, even though we watched them for like, over an hour just cause the wind was blowing every direction, you know, 25 miles an hour. And again, just playing it smart being patient and thinking, okay, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be better weather tomorrow. The deer are working towards us already. See where they're at in the morning, find them again and make a plan. And got up the next day. Um, still cold, but calm Glassed all morning. Didn't see a deer. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally second guessed. And, everything at this point because we're like maybe we camped too close and we had a fire last night because it was you know freezing cold so we're like we're both kind of like oh yeah they're definitely still here to you know saying it out loud but i'm pretty sure both of us to ourselves were like oh man i hope we didn't totally screw this up so it's like 11 o'clock still glassing i uh this is this is another fun for story from the season i take my hand off my binos and uh, unzip my puffy to take my jacket off. And while my arms are behind myself and I'm taking the jacket off, uh, my tripod head tips forward, hits the stop where it can't tip any forward, forward any further, and my binos fall off the tripod and bounce and <laughs> cartwheel and take off all the way down to the bottom of the mountain. I'm talking like 600 vertical feet they rolled. 
No way. <laughs> yep, my brand new Suaros. So I'm like, when they hit and bounce, I'm like, okay, they're gonna stop right there at that bush in front of me. And uh, they roll a little further, and they just keep getting faster and faster. And now they're bouncing like ten feet at a time. Just, <laughs> I, I can't even explain it. And I'm just sitting there like dumbfounded. So Will is up glass on the other side of the ridge and doesn't see this happen. And we haven't seen a deer all day at this point. So I get up, take the rest of my crap off, hike all the way down to the bottom of the canyon, find, see my binos, go over and grab it, and it's one tube. <laughs> so they broke in half. So I oh search around, find the other half climb all the way back up to the top of the ridge and throw them at will. And I'm like, dude, I'm going this deer today. Cause I'm not, I'm not sitting here doing nothing for the next five days while you glass for bucks. And so I pulled the spotter out and started glassing through the spotter further. And like, I don't know, maybe an hour later, I found the deer we were after. Um, he was closer. He's only like 500 yards away at this point. So we started, made a plan, started working towards them. This is like middle of the afternoon, figuring they weren't going to go anywhere. Start working in, working in, um, lose the buck. He takes off. He's sparring with another deer. So we just, rather than push down and try to figure out where they were, we just stop, kick out a big flat spot in the hill, get ready, get everything set up. And we're like, okay, if he comes out of where we last saw him, the shot's going to be like 350, totally makeable. And, uh, we're sitting there bullshit. And then this deer pops out, um, at the bottom of the Canyon at 192, like way closer than we had seen him. So that's, that's kind of how it worked out. We, uh, I got set up on the deer and as soon as I got the scope on him, he just laid down. So I think where you wound up bedding was like 202 and, and laying down. So it wound up being kind of a perfect scenario. Wow. So I'm I'm just super curious about the binos now. I know it was a great deer and I'm not to get away from that, but what what how did that hand, handle after the fact, right? Like was that a warranty issue? What's up with your binos? Yeah, so I still haven't sent them in cuz I'm just terrible at being a grown-up and doing things that I need to do. But uh I did get in touch with Swaro and they just said yeah to to send them in. They didn't tell me whether or not they were going to charge me for it, which is why I haven't sent them in. Yeah. <laughs> um since you know, I've got four kids and a wife to buy Christmas presents for and a bunch of other stuff. Since I'm kind of done hunting for the year, I wasn't, a, it wasn't on the priority list, but. So hopefully it's all external. Like the glass looks in shape. Yeah, the glass seems to be fine. None of the lenses broke. We actually tried to tape them back together. Like I put a stick in between the, the two barrels. Style. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then we duct taped them all up and like it would look perfect for a second. And then all of a sudden it like my eyes would be looking in two different directions. <laughs> I, I have to like pull my eyes out from the binos and shake my head, like refocus my eyes. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It was, it, yeah, they were they were less than effective after that. So, yeah, it was kind of a bummer. He made it happen that day. It did. Yeah, it was kind of meant to be. So, I found him in the spotting scope. Luckily, I have a decent spotter and had it with me. Wow. So it worked out. Yeah, that's cool, man. Were you um are you a rifle guy before this season? Um I've shot a rifle my whole life. Um, okay. I I feel like I'm a pretty decent shot, but I'm not I don't have, 
you know, a whiz bang custom rifle and do a ton of shooting. It's, I'm usually like the, you know, go out the two weekends before the rifle opener and, and bring up a box of ammo and just get reacquainted with everything and then Call go good. for it. Not yeah. really a year round shooter. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. So that was day two. What day did it come together for Will? I think he killed his buck the next day. Oh, okay. So, so his deer was standing next to mine when I shot and then just stood there after the shot. But um, mine was kind of in a hole in a shitty spot where I shot it and he didn't want to shoot another one down there. So <laughs> we get my buck packed out back up to camp and uh, that's kind of ate up the rest of the day since I shot him in the afternoon. And then the next day, we we glass and uh, not seeing anything no deer around so we moved and kind of made a, a big horseshoe shape up around to the to the another side of the canyon and uh we split up so i could look over the back side and will could look over the front and he comes running back after like an hour and he's like dude i found found the buck from yesterday he's like <laughs> he went over to drop a deuce and uh looked over and the deer was staring at him so he's like, I, I snuck out of there and comes, comes running back to me. So we went over and it wasn't the, it was a deer we'd been watching the whole year, but it wasn't one that he had initially wanted to go after. But since we hadn't seen any of the other ones, he was like, if we can stalk in and make a good stalk and get to like a hundred yards, I think I'll shoot him. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sounds good to me, whatever you got to do to justify it. So we went over and snuck in on the buck and got to like, right over a hundred yards, like 115 or something. And he shot that deer. So we packed that deer like three quarters of the way back to the truck since it was earlier in the day and then came back into camp again. So worked out. There was some, some other guys in there that day too, which was kind of interesting. They came in from a different direction and were shooting at something in the morning, but we never did see them packing out anything. Yeah. So you you and Will hunted uh, a bit this fall together. We actually had Will on the podcast previously um, talking about solo hunting for elk. I think that was 176. If listeners want to go back and hear that, we talked about Will's experience hunting solo for elk. You hunting with Will, Dan, and you've obviously hunted with him having a partner. You've hunted solo like what are in your mind? What are some of those differences um, on a on backcountry hunts? Being solo, having a partner. How, do you prefer one over the other? Is there is that like pros and cons both ways? How do you feel about that? Yes, yeah, so I've always kind of preferred solo hunting just because I like to be in charge and I don't like to have to justify anything I'm doing to anybody else, and I seem to be successful that way. But um, hunting with Will this year was kind of like we were just on the same page for so much of the season that I feel like it, the good decisions we made were kind of amplified and we always had someone there to tell, you know, to make sure we were sticking with whatever the plan was. Um, so I think that's one of the benefits is if you guys both have the same plan and you talk about it, you know, then when things get hard or, or things look different or anything, you know, you're way less likely to second guess yourself out of a good situation because no one wants to be the guy that's like, man, maybe we shouldn't climb up there or, <laughs> <laughs> you know, let, let the other guy down. So I think it, uh, it keeps you accountable to whatever your plan is, is one of the biggest things. Mm. And then just, 
you know, being able to, being able to stick with it and not um, bounce all over the place, which has been one of my problems forever. You know, if you're not doing that, I think you're way less, way more likely to, to run into animals and, and be successful. I mean, you, you pick these spots and you do a ton of e-scouting and map work for a reason. And then if you mm-hmm. get in there and, you know, don't do your due diligence finding stuff, that's kind of pointless. So yeah. from that aspect, it was, I think it was, a, it was a good move for him and I to team up this year. That's a really good point, man. That's, I wrestle with that sometimes. Like I have this plan, I've done some scouting and you feel great about it, but it doesn't take long to get in there and then just start to question that, you know? And what's difficult is sometimes maybe questioning that and it doesn't pan out. Like maybe it's the right move to move, but then sometimes it's no, like, yeah, it doesn't look great at first, but let's stick with it and let's go. And man, it, it's tough. It's tough to know when to pull the plug on an area sometimes and when to stick with it. And I think over time and experience, hopefully that gets easier, but that's a struggle for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Absolutely. So it also helps having a buddy um, when you shoot big giant bulls to help you carry them out. That's pretty good too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> freaking elk are heavy, man. <laughs> and of course you return the favor right yeah that, so that was one of the other things i enjoyed the most this year was getting to call a bull in for will too and a bigger bull that i shot i've always had like i i've never gotten to call in a bull for somebody and have them kill it mm. so just uh i don't think anyone's ever called one in for me though i always wind up doing the calling and the shooting somehow that's always worked out, <laughs> but yeah. So I got two firsts this year. Like Will called the bull in for me, and I shot it, and it was awesome, and it was a big bull, and I was thrilled. But then I was like, oh man, now I kind of like this sucks, you know? I feel like I owe him something. I was like, because if that was me and I called it in and I shot it, then I wouldn't feel this way, you know? But then the following weekend, I call in an even bigger bull for him, and he shoots it. So then, I mean, that was just such a cool experience. You mentioned before the show something about gear and what's worth the weights, um, you know, kind of that balance between comfort and being super light in the pack. What are some of the standouts there where you, you've you made decisions based off of experience that like certain things are worth the weight uh, in terms of comfort yeah. and, and security? Yeah, so this year was kind of an eye-opener there. I made some some firsts. One of the things that I've never had, which I definitely will now, is a uh, kind of a different setup for water filtering. I always just run the Sawyer because the spots that I hunt in September always have plenty of water in them. Um, but the areas we were in hunting this year for deer were just so much drier. And uh, if it wasn't for Will having one of the smaller pump filters, like there would have been it would have been a nightmare trying to get water. Like we were just drinking out of little seeps in the ground kind of the whole time. So, um, I've always just written those off cause of the, the weight and the space they take up, but that's going to be, that's going to be a move I make, I think definitely. Mm. Um, and then for the rifle season, just keeping myself comfortable, like glass. And so a big puffy jacket, um, I brought a pad to sit on, which I never do. And that's, it doesn't sound like much, but that couple ounces is a, a game changer. Just not having a rock poking you in the ass for hours at a time is awesome. Mm. Um, and then, uh, you know, sucking it up and carrying the spotter all season. 
was a good move, which I, in September, typically I don't carry a tripod or a spotter. You know, I figure if I can, if I can see a bull with the binos, it's probably good enough to go after. So, um, and then, um, I brought some little booties this year to like over boots because mm-hmm. my, my hands and my feet always freeze. I don't know why, but I've always had cold hands and feet. So I have these like Arctic shield insulated booties that I can slip on over my boots while I'm sitting still kind of stops my toes from going numb. And, uh, then I don't have to get up and stomp around and hike up and down the ridge trying to get feeling back in my feet. So I think that was kind of a game changer too. So, I mean, all together it's, it's, you know, pound or two, you know, the jacket's probably a pound and then a pound of, of, of other stuff, but definitely worth sucking it up and carrying it to, to keep yourself comfortable and make yourself more effective. Yeah. So I've always been kind of rockheaded in that point. And then I, I see how much, how little stuff Steve carries on his trips and I try to be like him and it never works <laughs> out. Scott, <laughs> uh, be a man, Dan. I'm like man steve would totally call me a pussy if like if you knew i was bringing this and then <laughs> yeah no this year i did pack uh the puffy pants and and i think i was out the same weekend you were obviously opening rifle day of rifle and it was yeah you know below 10 that was a cold weekend you needed needed extra gear for that hunt for sure on your sawyer did, have you did you try using like a scoop um to scoop water out and then pour it into the bag um, well, I have a bag that has like the big stiff wide mouth on it that I can scoop with. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem with that is you wind up st- I, like that I yeah. found is I, I wind up stirring up so much stuff. Yeah. yeah. But then my bag is like half dirt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Then, then, then the filters clogged and then, yeah. So I've just, just, just for reference, I've used, I'll take the original Sawyer crappy bags, those blue ones, just mm-hmm. cut one in half. So it's like four or five inches. And then throw a coffee filter in there, um, and and basically just scoop it with that sawyer bag, and then use the coffee filter to pour it into your dirty bag. It's and it's an extra couple steps, but it works pretty well. Gotcha. That sounds like a cool system. But uh, what we'll have we were calling this thing the goat milker, but it's some little (laughs) I think it's the MSR trail shot. Oh yeah, yeah, little bulb that you squeeze with a tube on it. I mean, that thing hardly weighs anything, but it, it was way more yeah. effective than I was trying to scoop water out of a little hole. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Man, um, it's been good, Dan. It's, uh, can't believe it's, it's been time already. What, anything else before we go that you just feel is worth sharing or would encourage listeners with, um, just any highlights that stand out to you or we kind of covered it for, for you for this conversation so far? Well, you're gonna ask me for a hot tip <laughs> off the top of my head. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I feel like we covered a lot for not really having a, a direction. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just um, set yourself up for success. You know, if it comes down to uh, being comfortable and staying out there longer, that's that's always the move. Um, stop trying to be like Steve. He's a great guy but he's not always a great example for everyone, normal <laughs> folks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you need something, bring it, you know, yeah. I've, uh, I, I spent so much of my, the first couple of years, like trying to be hardcore and measure up to other guys. 
you know, cause I wasn't confident in what I was doing, I think. And now that I've like, Hey, I, I need to develop my own system and figure out what works for me and what's going to set me up for success instead of trying to do what other guys are doing. I think that's, I think it's starting to pay off. So we all, you know, we all have a different set of needs and different skill sets. So it's just kind of setting yourself up to be the best at whatever your game plan is. This is the way to go. Okay. What, um, going into 2020, what are you, um, changing, looking forward to things you got to work on? Um, I am taking the year off in 2020 and I'm not hunting at all. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Another identity <laughs> crisis. Yeah. Yeah. No, as much as I wish that was a joke, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to be overseas for the whole hunting season. So that was, uh, that was oh. part of my, um, I think that kind of helped me this year, um, stick to what my plans were and, and, and not shoot, you know, animals that I wasn't completely sold on and, and be opportunistic because I knew 2020 wasn't going to be a thing for me. So it kind of, I think maybe it was a blessing where it helped me be more dedicated and focused. So, but yeah, no, no 2020 season for me. And, uh, I'm just gonna do a ton of map work and Google earth time and hit it in 21 with, uh, hopefully some more tags and shake the rust off and have another good season. It's kind of, kind of what I'm shooting for. Yeah. Wait up in the season, in the podcast on a low note. Yeah, no, that's good. I was going to say, thanks for the time. And as cliche as it sounds, man, I thank you for serving. And I, I didn't know that, uh, you know, at 28, that's when you got involved with, with the guard. Um, that's cool, man, for sure. I mean, so many, so many folks at that point in life would overlook that or say it's, you know, that window of opportunities missed or what have you. So I think it's, it's, impressive that you stepped up at that time in your life especially obviously it's impressive at any time but i think that's cool so thank you yeah i appreciate it man that's... i to close i know that you are uh on a, a much more serious note you're super concerned with being insta famous and so i just want to take this opportunity to let you give a shout out um, so that you can get insta famous no but in all reality <laughs> um i do enjoy your instagram posts for sure but um, any, if guys hear this, have questions, anything like that, do you like, do you want to point them to Instagram or some other place they can follow you, contact you? You don't have to obviously throw your personal contact information out there, but would be a good place for, uh, for folks if they want to kind of check out more to get in touch with you. Yeah. You can find me on, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Um, I do a lot of super cheesy motivational stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. Kind of just whatever my uh, thought of the day is. Sometimes it's helpful, sometimes it's not. But um, I don't have a catchy handle, just at Dan Salzman. And then trying trying my best to put some videos together. Um, I do a little writing and uh, share a page with a buddy of mine who's up in Alaska, my buddy Spencer, um, at Provider Life on Facebook and Instagram. Well, that's the wrap on this one. Thank you guys again for taking the time to listen to the show. If you're on the socials, if you will, go give Dan a follow. He's um, certainly worthwhile in terms of seeing what he's up to and then just kind of reading some of the perspectives that he has to share. So thank you guys. As always, again, you can contact us directly to podcast at exomountaingear.com. Hit that subscribe button and we'll catch you next week.